all of us, you know, we, we have affinities for people. We like certain people. You like certain people, right? And you don't like others. And you don't know why you're attracted to some people and not others. The only thing you really know is you're either attracted or you're not. It's like physics, bouncing off each other like pinballs. Yeah, but not everything is as simple as a bunch of pinballs reacting off of each other. Some things don't even react, but everything is alive. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Hello, Geneva. Hello, Tatum. Would you uh, care to share with us what you've been watching this past week? Sure. I have not seen very much, um, mainly because I've continued to just binge British detective shows (laughs) 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 mindlessly (laughs) while doing other things, uh, which has been a great time. Um, But the two things I do have to report are I... Just recently rewatched the 1999 miniseries version of Great Expectations that has Yoan Griffith and Charlotte Rampling and Justine Waddle, um, which is a pretty good uh, adaptation of Great Expectations, I must say, a book I really, really like. Um, but also, I just love watching an adaptation of something where it's pretty good, but also you can imagine ways in your head where you're like, oh, but I could I could make this better, you know, and you want to get out your uh, little notebook and start scribbling. Did you take um, out a notebook and start scribbling? Uh, not the physical notebook, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there may have been some scribbling. Um, but yeah, it's it's very good. I remember we watched it. We read Great Expectations my freshman year of high school, and this was the version that our English teacher showed us. Um, so I hadn't seen it since then. And yeah, it holds up. Uh, the other thing that I watched this week, I guess, probably in sort of a post chopper on the corner, uh, wanting a little bit more young Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> was a Frank, Cap- uh, Frank Capra movie called You Can't Take It With You from 1938, which won Best Picture for that year. Um, it is a very Frank Capra movie, I must mm, say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like if you, uh, I don't know, something like It's a Wonderful Life is sort of Capra- at his like a little bit more mature, a little bit more measured and sophisticated. And I feel like this is just full, zany, earnest, hard on his sleeve, not thinking super deeply about the things he's talking about, but just kind of like wanting to express himself, Frank Capra. And I'm really, you know, taking, uh, I'm probably overstating that a lot, but uh, there's so many times during this movie, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Like the, it's about this, um, uh, these two families. One of them is this really wealthy, industrialist, snobbish, high crust society family. 
And their son is Jimmy Stewart, but Jimmy Stewart's nothing like them. He he is kind of disgusted by them. And he's in love with this woman from this family of basically 1930s hippies. They're just kind of bohemians who live in a house and keep adopting people. And they're in this kind of artistic commune commune where everyone does five has five little hobbies that they do throughout the day, and none of them actually well, not none of them, but they don't really work work to earn a living, but they all somehow have plenty of money. And um, I kind of kept alternating between, oh, this is really charming. I'd love to live this way. And, oh, these damn hippies. <laughs> like, you got you to gotta pay your rent. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Jimmy Stewart is in love with the, the woman from this family. They're both kind of the most normal members of their respective families. And they want to be together. And... Clash of cultures ensues, zaniness ensues, people getting arrested and um, wreaking havoc in the courtroom ensues, all sorts of things. There's a lot of fireworks going off in all places. There's a weird Russian stereotype who keeps wrestling people. Um, <laughs> what is <laughs> <it's> this movie? <laughs> I was I was messaging my friend who um, instantly listens to this podcast, and she had watched the movie after I had seen it. Um, and she was also like, what on earth is this? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I can't imagine anything this weird and idiosyncratic um, and bizarre, like winning Best Picture. Then I was like, wait a second. This is kind of just the 1930s version of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm, so Interesting. You know what? Times change, but some things never do. Mm. But anyway, so you can't take it with you. It was. Did you like it? Of- <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if you liked it or I not. I liked it in places. It's very charming. And actually, my Letterboxd review, I talked about how there's one performance in this movie that actually really unexpectedly got me, which is the father of Jimmy Stewart, who's this industrialist character, because he, throughout the movie, he's this very kind of low-key presence. He's just kind of silently reacting to a lot of things. You know, he's kind of gruff and... um he he wants everything his own way and he's a wheeler dealer and um he's really upset when things go wrong but then at the end when spoiler alert <laughs> the, the the zany family finally charms him and you know um kind of a christmas story christmas carol esque uh, causes him to breaks down his icy reserves i was really moved by it and it was so much just his performance and how the transformation within him and the look of delight on his face after he finally gives up everything that has been holding him back from being able to fully embrace life and fully love his son in the way that he wants to. So yeah, it's it's a weird movie. Um but it's kind of fun. I <laughs> I would recommend it. Um there's definitely some things about it that haven't aged well, but you know, it always is what it is. <laughs> so yeah, I spoke way longer than I intended to. But yeah, you can't take it with you. It sounds like an an intriguing movie. I would like to like to check it out. I feel like it'd be fun to just engage in the ridiculousness of what this movie sounds like. Um yeah, okay. So as far as me, um it's it's been an interesting week. Uh I've been trying to just watch things that'll kind of pick up my mood a little bit. The days are real short. Life is real hard. The sun is setting. You know, it's cold and, you know, it's just life. So uh, I've been watching a lot of YouTube because YouTube makes me happy. 
Um, I have rewatched some Parks and Rec, which is nice. That show always makes me happy. Um, I tried to watch this uh, apparently like somewhat classic uh, lesbian romantic comedy. Uh, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> um, I really tried. I was like, oh, something lighthearted. Cool. It's called um, Imagine Me and You. And Oh, yes, I've heard of this. Yeah, it's basically, you know, a, a, a familiar premise, but with lesbians, where it's like a woman, she gets married to a man, and she meets, while she's at her wedding, she meets this woman who is coincidentally the florist for the wedding. And so then they're kind of like, oh, wait, we kind of like each other drama ensues and it's kind of funny parts of it are charming I didn't finish it uh just because it's just too cheesy for me <laughs> so um <laughs> so it's 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 not terrible it's just a very typical rom-com format and it wasn't intriguing enough for me to watch it through till the end so yeah it was it was it was an experience uh, Am I wrong in thinking that Lena Headey from Game of Thrones she is. is in that? She is the florist, yes. And she has red hair in this one. Um, but yeah, so that's Imagine Me and You. Again, I did not finish it. I'll, I'll probably go back and finish it at some point because maybe, maybe, maybe it gets better. I don't know. I feel like I can predict the ending, but that's fine. Um, I also started watching, I'm about halfway through... Um, the Netflix original show, The Haunting of Hill House, which is um, written and directed, I guess adapted as well, but by Mike Flanagan, who did Midnight, Midnight Mass, which I talked about a few weeks ago. Um, I had several friends talk to me in the last few weeks. They were like, Tatum, you know, we're still kind of close to spooky season. And if you really liked Midnight Mass, you should check this one out. It's Mike Flanagan's arguably his best. And and I was like, but it's scary. And they were like, but it's really good. So I watched the first episode with a friend. And then the subsequent four episodes I watched with another friend. So I did not watch any of it alone. Um, I looked up where all of the jump scares were because there are a lot of jump scares in this show. Um, it's phenomenal. It's really, really good. Um, I I went into the show expecting it to be like a spooky horror show, but I didn't really know anything beyond that. Uh, I did not realize, but halfway through the first episode, I was like, oh, this is a show about like family trauma and sibling relationships and like, oh no, this is hitting a little bit too close to home. Did you say it's an adaptation? Do you know what it's adapting? It's adapted from a book called The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know who wrote it. I probably should. Um, but yes. So it's very good. I look forward to updating the podcast as I finish it because um, I kind of stopped at the end of episode five because that was a moment where it felt like a good point to stop because that was when the first few episodes are let's focus on like we'll dedicate one episode to each sibling and then the end of episode five was like okay we've set up the siblings now something is going to happen that really is letting you know okay this is what the rest of the season is going to be about and it was this ending and it was like, oh my God, like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, so yeah, it, it's a really, really great show. Um, it is not monologues. 
which is great. <laughs> it's actual dialogue, which I love. Actual conversations that human beings would have with another human being. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, I look forward to finishing the season and after this, uh, undoubtedly watching more Mike Flanagan. So uh, yeah. I want to watch posted. Yeah, I want to watch the fall of the House of Usher. Um, I hear about I hear uh, Haunting of Bly Manor is one of the weaker ones of his, but still quite good um, and apparently extremely queer, which is cool. Um, So, yeah. Have you seen um, Dr. Sleep? I have not seen Dr. Sleep. Okay. Yeah. That's one I've been considering watching because I've actually heard very good things about that movie. Yeah. So Dr. Sleep, it, the crazy thing is, is that if you ever watch Haunting of Hill House, which I'm imagining you won't, but if you ever do, if you look at his IMDb filmography, all of the things before Haunting of Hill House are kind of like these small budget things that didn't really get wide distribution. So but Haunting of Hill House is like high production value. The production design, the size of the cast, the the costumes, like everything. It is high production value. I'm like, I don't know who Mike Flanagan knows, but someone <laughs> somehow was like, hey, here's this guy. Let's give him like millions of dollars to make this show. And it's great. But because Dr. Sleep didn't come out until after this. So um, I don't know who he knows that helped him get this this money but anyway it's very very good um I would highly recommend Haunting of Hill House so yes speaking of another thing that I've watched that is incredibly incredibly great that has a fantastic cast of incredible people let's transition into talking about Carol which is the film that we are discussing today I want to start off by saying I do have a fair amount of research here off the top because I, the older that I get, the more passionate I am about representation. And this is a movie that is obviously about like a lesbian woman story and it is directed by a white man, but this project was championed by women over years and years and like over a decade. And so I want to give those women the credit that they deserve. Todd Haynes's name is the one who's that you naturally go to because he's the director, but it is the women that made this story and this film happen. So I want to kind of dig into them a little bit and explain um, a little bit about the process of how this movie came into being. So, um, but first I'll just start with like a summary in general, you know, background, and then I'll go a little bit more in depth. So anyway, all that being said, Um, Today on the show, we will be discussing the 2015 romantic period drama Carol, directed by Todd Haynes and written by Phyllis Nagy. I think that's how you say it. Um, The film stars our Lord and Savior, Kate Blanchett. May she live forever. (laughs) The always fabulous Rooney Mara, the extremely talented Sarah Paulson, the man who is forever stuck in supporting roles for some reason, Kyle Chandler and Jake Lacey. Adapted from author Patricia Highsmith's 1952 novel, The Price of Salt, Carol tells the story of Carol and Therese, two women who, on the surface, appear to be living content lives with their male partners. But behind closed doors, Carol is in the process of divorcing her husband, and Therese is unsatisfied with and ambivalent about her relationship with her serious boyfriend, Richard. 
When Carol and Therese meet at a department store where Therese sells Carol a train set for her daughter, Rindy, the two form a relationship that quickly develops into love. While finding joy and freedom in each other, the two must also face the prejudice of being lesbian women in the 1950s. So, believe it or not, Carol had been in development since 1997 when Phyllis Nagy finished uh, the first draft of the screenplay. However, due to many complications with scheduling and funding, the film was unable to solidify a production company until 2011 when Number 9 Films joined the project. And then in 2013, the production company Killer Films also came on board after Todd Haynes' longtime producer collaborator, Christine Vachon, Vachon, I don't know, um, approached him to direct. And eventually, after premiering at the Cannes Film Festival, the film's distribution rights were acquired by the Weinstein Company. Not going to go into that, but hooray, Weinstein. Um, Uh, (laughs) You might want to rephrase that. Boo, Weinstein. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Uh, Made with a budget of just under $12 million, Carol was shot in 34 days on 16-millimeter film using 35-millimeter lenses and would eventually go on to earn $42.5 million in addition to receiving mountains of critical acclaim, landing on several critics' top 10 films of the year lists. So needless to say, despite its lack of wins during the award season, the film was a huge success, both financially and critically. Um, So that's kind of just the things that I initially wrote Now I'm just going to kind of read lots of things (laughs) that I literally just kind of copy and pasted and paraphrased from the Wikipedia page. Um, I would highly recommend anyone listening to this or anyone who has seen this movie to go look up the Wikipedia page for this movie and read it because there is so much important and very interesting um, information on this film and the book that precedes it and the decades in between. Um, So, yes. So anyway, I'm just going to read a bunch of stuff and then we can talk about the movie. Um, So Carol, the novel, is semi-autobiographical and inspired by an encounter in 1948 between author Patricia Highsmith and a blonde woman wearing a pink coat, Kathleen Wiggins-Sen, while she was working as a Christmas season sales girl at the toy department of Bloomingdale's in New York. That evening, she wrote an eight-page outline, which she developed some weeks later and had completed by 1951. The character of Therese Bellavette was based on Highsmith herself. Sen inspired the character of Carol Aird, but its template was inspired by Highsmith's relationships with two former lovers, one of whom lost custody of her daughter in a high-profile divorce that involved secret tape recordings of her and her female lover. London-born, New York-based producer Dorothy Berwin was initially attached to the project in 1996, owning the rights of the novel. She enlisted the playwright Phyllis Nagy to write the screenplay on the recommendation of her London agent. Nagy, who was a friend of Highsmith, wrote the first draft of the script in 1997. According to Nagy, Highsmith was not confident that the novel could be made into a satisfying film because of its, quote, intense subjective point of view, unquote. Nagy decided to adapt the script to ensure its fidelity to the source material, remarking, quote, I felt a strange responsibility to take it and to make sure that it wasn't screwed up in some fundamental way because she so disliked many of the screen adaptations of her work, unquote. While searching for investors, Nagy and Berwin uh, learned that the character's homosexuality was not as much of an obstacle as that they were women. Having, uh, quote, having two women leads was the issue, unquote, Nagy noted. 
In 2015, Berwyn said that in those days, it was a risky idea to play the role of Carol. Quote, as a project, it came together with Kate Blanchett. You needed to always start with her role, unquote. Film 4 Productions and Tessa Ross financed the development of the film and kept it alive through the years as it, quote, underwent a decade plus of revision under various directors and investors, unquote. So that's kind of my whole spiel. Um, I could read the list of directors that it went through. It's not really necessary. Um, But the one thing I thought was interesting was that Mia Wasikowska, uh, She's if you look up her name and you see her face, she's a familiar actress. Um, she was originally set to play Therese, but she had to leave the project due to scheduling conflicts. And then after Todd Haynes saw Rooney Mara's performance in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, he was like, yes, that is Therese, which I'm like super fascinating because they're like not opposite characters because they both are reserved and, and kind of nervous, but very different <laughs> in terms of how they express that. Um <clears throat> But anyway, Geneva, do you have any like initial thoughts on all of that stuff that I just said? <laughs> if you don't, that's fine. That was a lot of information, but yeah, not necessarily. I just was fascinated. Very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. So I guess I will. Um. I'll just kind of jump in and and say what my relationship is to this movie. Um. So I saw this movie for the first time. I didn't see it in 2015. Um, before like all of the award seasons, but I did see it shortly after all of the awards like happened. And um, because I remember a lot of people being upset that this movie wasn't nominated for Best Picture and all of these things. And so I remember watching the movie back then and I was very, um, I was very taken aback by how it looked stylistically. Um, I think the costume design is some of the best of the 21st century. It's some of the best that I've seen, the hairstyling, the makeup, the cinematography, the the color correction, the lighting. Like it is just so artistically and visually captivating and so well done and so precise. Um it's it's beautiful to look at. Um but I I I did not I did not connect with the romance as much the first time because I had such high expectations because everyone was like, this is the best romance of the last 50 years. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm super pumped. And then I came out of it and I was like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm happy for them. Kind of their, their journey was awful, but I'm glad they, you know, whatever. Um, but obviously I really liked the movie, which is why I wanted to talk about it again. Um, this is my diehard, by the way. People are like, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And people are like, is it really, though? <laughs> I'm like, Carol is a Christmas movie. This is very much a Christmas movie. Thank I you. was shocked at how much of a Thank Christmas you. movie this is. There's literally a Christmas song in it. They're driving in the car and they're playing a Christmas song. I think it's... They um, have an entire date that's just hanging around the house doing Christmas even. Yes. Thank you. It's a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to argue with you on that and defend my choices. Um... But yeah, so I had only seen this movie once before and um, watching it this time, I watched it yesterday. I cannot stop thinking about this movie. This movie is, it is a perfect film. This is, these are the romance movies that Tatum likes because it's not, it's not, in my opinion, it's not cheesy. It feels very real. It feels very authentic. There's the struggle. There's, it's not a perfect, you know, 
tie a bow on the top sort of happy ending story. Um, it's very complex and it's really diving into, you know, what's the comp I said complex already, but like what's going on with these women? Why are they getting together in the first place? Are they going to stay together? Why? Why not? How does this impact their lives? How, what does this represent about what they're going through? How they're feeling? What does it mean that the two of them are coming together given what they're going through individually? And, you know, it's just, this film is incredibly, incredibly powerful. The way that it's shot, it's focus on hands, it's focus on eyes. It, it, I love this movie. I cannot stop thinking about it. Um, if you don't like this movie, Geneva, I might have to stop the episode and we might not, we might have to switch the movie we talk about because <laughs> I don't like, I just don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, this movie made me extremely emotional. Um, it's very powerful. It's so beautiful and touching and delicate and heartbreaking and, it's a masterpiece. I love this movie. Um, I want to watch it again and again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> so, yes, we will dive into it more, I guess, as we keep talking. Unless you hate this movie, then we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I guess that's kind of like the start of my thoughts. What about you, Geneva? Yeah. Well, don't worry. I, I did like this movie. Okay. Um, first of all, I mean, I just have to say, because it's from the very first few stills of this movie, like, holy crap, this is one of the most beautiful looking movies ever made. Mm -hmm. The cinematography is incredible. The way that it, I, I don't know whether it was shot on film or did, oh, no, you it, said it, yeah, it, was it was shot, shot on, on film. film. It was shot mm -hmm. on film. And the way that they were able to recreate the, the lighting and the colors of a 1950s kind of beautiful technicolor drama. I think I read somewhere that they were kind of going for a Douglas Sirk type of vibe, which I can see. It just looks gorgeous. The The shot where that's used at the beginning and the end of the film, where Therese is in the taxi and you see her face um, looking out the taxi window as the rain is coming down and the reflections of the raindrops and the way the, the the glass of the window just barely distorts her face and the the light coming, different colored lights coming from all different directions. It's just absolutely stunning. And like you said, the hair, the costume design, all of it is so beautiful. Um, the performances are great, particularly Rooney Mara. Um, who I, I've liked in other things, but she's really, really incredible here. I, I really impressed her. I do feel like this movie is, I don't know, I feel like I went in expecting that, feeling like I, thinking that I knew what this movie was going to be and that it ended up being something else. And so I'm kind of still processing that a little bit. And I think I'm I'm coming away similar to your first experience where I appreciate a lot about it. It's not fully connecting with me but I think I'll probably appreciate it more on a second watch. When did I you watch of, it? Yesterday? Or? Um, last night, and then I finished up the, the last half hour today. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm trying to think of... Um, oh, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say, which I think you probably brought this up 
um, in the past, but call back to our brief encounter episode and then our discussion about past lives when the two of us saw past lives. But it has a very similar um, structure where you see a conversation playing out at the beginning and then you see the conversation play out again from a different perspective at the end. Todd which Haynes, I always love that. Todd Haynes that actually this. used brief encounter as like a reference for. Oh, I mean, it's completely yeah. obvious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, down to the hand touch on the shoulder as, as the person leaves. Um, yeah. It's very much a, a knowing nod to it, but with a different ending, which is something that I. I was not expecting. Like I said, I went in thinking I knew what this movie was going to be. I did not expect Which was it to have what? a... What did you think it was going to be? I did not expect it to have a happy ending. I did not expect them to actually end up together. Hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of an interesting um, using brief encounter, but then ending it in a... Choosing to end it in a different way. Well, um, not his choice. I'm sure that's how the original Patricia Highsmith uh, novella ends. But, yeah, so... Those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, I, I I don't know if and when you would plan on watching this again, but I would love to hear your thoughts after watching it again because, yeah, like I, for, for whatever reason, I just was not, I just appreciated it on a way, way deeper level this time around. Um, I think the other thing, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit more later, but... The thing that I kind of was most expected by and then also kind of had the most difficulty with was Kate Blanchett's performance hmm. in that I kind of went in expecting it to be we're in the point of view of Therese and Carol is this sort of enigmatic figure who is kind of knowing and has done this many times and kind of sweeps her up and then... um you know, they they part at the end. That's kind of how the arc of how I expected it to go. I did not realize that Carol herself was going to have so much, so much of the film is going to be devoted to her point of view and to her being very vulnerable and really not sure of herself and not sure of what she wanted and not sure of what she was doing. And I just did struggle with that just a little bit because I do love Kate Blanchett and I think she's a fantastic actress, but she never reads to me as someone who is really vulnerable and unsure of herself. So I think on a second viewing, I would better be able to, at least on first viewing, that's not how she reads to me until later in the movie when I realized, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> so I think on a second viewing, I would be able to appreciate more what is going on with Carol earlier in the film, if that makes sense. Yeah, I... I disagree 100% on every single level of what you just said about her <laughs> performance. But um, yeah, I I think that this is... Kate Blanchett is my favorite actress. I've seen her in so, so, so many movies. This is one of my favorite performances she's ever given, if not my favorite performance she's ever given. I think that, like I said in the beginning when I was talking about, you know, kind of just the the delicacy and the intimacy of this movie it's so there's so much focus on hands and eyes and Kate Blanchett communicates so much with only her eyes in this movie and as does Rooney Mara honestly but even that those last two shots that we get of Rooney Mara's face and then Carol's Rooney Mara Teresa's face and then Carol's face and it's this really, really long shot of Carol's face, which is the final shot of the film. And her, 
her mouth does not change at all, but her eyes change and you see her go from shock to like, oh, wow, to like to transcendent love and hope. And and she does it with these minute, minuscule adjustments with her eyes over like a 30 second. Like it's 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 incredible to me. And the fact that she's able to hold in the balance this this concept of being seemingly being very confident with, like to so many people, but she can only keep that act up for so long. And when she's with Abby, we see the cracks in that facade. And then occasionally she lets through when she's with Therese. And I think it's just it's absolutely it, it it's 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 perfect and it's so powerful and um yeah i i i'm a bit i'm a bit surprised that that you say that that you were you know a little bit um surprised by seeing so much depth in carol's character cuz i'm like the movie's called carol <laughs> so <laughs> i i and that's not a criticism i'm just i'm surprised that by by that um by you being kind of thrown off by that. I think I was coming to it with the mindset of this will be more in the an education mold of this is this woman's story, her, her growth from innocence to maturity, you know, like, like the, the, the coming of age kind of a thing. And Carol would be the instrument that brings her to age, but would not necessarily be, um, would be more the object of change, the instrument of change and the object of affection and would less be someone who is falling apart all on her own in a way, if that makes sense. To be hmm. clear, by the way, I'm not saying anything against Kate Blanchett's performance, just that Kate Blanchett reads in cer- certain ways to me and so that it took me longer to figure out what was going on with Carol. Which is why, again, I think if I see it again, um, that will be, it'll help me to to maybe access some aspects of that character that I, I didn't ask, access, at least at the beginning, not until the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I mean, kind of like what I said when I was reading my initial, you know, intro to the movie. I mean, it was kind of a joke having all of those introductions to the actors, but not really a joke. I mean, the cast of this movie is out of this world. I mean, Kate Blanchett is, like I said, my favorite actress of all time. I have a list of actors that I personally would love to work with. Rooney Mara is one of them. I admire her so much. She can do so many different types of roles and knock it out of the park with every single one. Sarah Paulson is a goddess. I love her. She is stunning and she's so talented and she's also very versatile and diverse in her performances. I really like Kyle Chandler a lot. He's always kind of that guy in movies and I don't know why he doesn't get lead roles ever. (laughs) He does on TV if you watch Friday Night Lights. True. I've seen Friday Night Lights. You always (laughs) act like I haven't seen it. I've seen that show. You've Um, seen some of it. I've seen half of it, which is a fair I've amount. I've seen some of it as well, to be clear. Um, but there's so many scenes in this movie. I was like, Coach Tyler, no. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. So yeah, I just, this, 
I don't even remember what I was saying and how I started talking about the actors and their performances. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> but um, I, I just, I feel like Kate Blanchett has the most complexity here in terms of what she has to deliver because Therese is this character where she is kind of, I mean, she's not very young, but she's, you know, she's younger than Carol by quite a bit and she's clearly a lot less experienced. And so she, she has a lot more of just like, I'm kind of figuring out who I am and I'm confused and I'm timid, but I feel confident here. Like what, what is this? Whereas with Carol, it's a lot more of like, I'm experienced and this is, and I know what I want, but also is this really what I want? Because I know the consequences. And also I have this connection with my husband because we've built this home, but like, I don't like him in that way. And so I wish I could make this work, but I can't. And this is my friend who was my lover, who's now my friend. And, and you know, she's playing so many different aspects of one person, which is what I love about it because people are complex and, she is able to touch on all of those different layers of the character of Carol in ways that are so subtle and not explicitly stated. And it's just part of that is, is the screenwriting. It's very well written. Um, and the structure of this I think is very well put together. Um, because it is kind of a movie where you, it kind of starts in a certain way and you think it's going to be one thing and then it goes a different way. Well, yeah, I also didn't expect this to be a road trip movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's crazy because, well, at least for me, because I started, I'm like, okay, it's going to be about kind of a romance between these two women and maybe they'll have to kind of hide it from people. And then it's like, oh, wait, we have to also deal with like, a, a custody situation with divorce and now family drama and come spend Christmas with my parents. Like, please, you, you can come with me. I want you to come with me. And then she's like, no, I can't. And then let's go on a road trip. And then, Oh wait, now we're not on a road trip. Now we have to go back. And it's like, what is, what is this movie? <laughs> um, but there's just so many layers and complexity and um, I love it. So I guess all of that being said, we can kind of, jump into um I guess just kind of going by the plot a little bit unless there's something else you want to start with well I just wanted to ask one quick question just to sort of fill in the gaps and kind of my understanding of who who's Carol's character is and and what her level of, of experience is in your reading or maybe they state this directly in the film and I just missed it has there been anyone else between Abby and Therese or like, has she had other affairs before Therese or is it basically just, it was Abby that ended and now it's Therese is kind of the one, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know for sure. I I don't have an answer to that question. Because yeah. her, her husband's very accusatory of like, oh, you've just been like, you know, having constant affairs, but we don't get a sense of whether there's any actual truth to that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I can't answer that. My only thought is that the way that we have that one scene where Abby asks Carol, she says to her, you know, like, she's very young. I hope you know what you're doing. And then Carol's like, I don't. I never did. And so I feel like the fact that Abby is saying she's young, I hope you know what you're doing, lends itself to me thinking like, oh, Abby's talked with Carol about people before, like post her relationship with Carol. 
Um, and she does have this, this conversation Abby does with Teresa at one point where she's like, yeah, this is kind of what she does. She's there and you know, it's all encompassing and then she's gone and da da da. So I, I think my assumption is there's probably more people other than Abby, but I can't say that with 100% certainty, but even if it is, even if it is more people, I don't think it's like dozens and dozens of people. Carol doesn't seem like someone who's you know, a one night stand sort of lady. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, I'm looking at my notes here. Um, but most of my notes are honestly just like quotes that I wrote down because they're so freaking <laughs> good quotes. Um, we'll need to talk about what my favorite quote is in the movie when ooh, we get to it. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to kind of go through the plot summary, I guess, and then we can, um, go from there. And I don't know if I said this off the top of the podcast. I said it to Geneva before we were recording my brain. I've had really bad headaches for days. And, um, so hosting this, I apologize. Like I said, I love this movie and I want to talk about it in as in-depth way as possible but also my brain is very limited right now in terms of how it can like coordinate and lead discussion so hopefully we can do this movie the justice that it deserves given my mental state um but so yeah so we have um the beginning of the movie where you know kind of like Geneva already mentioned we have this concept of you know we see this scene in the beginning that we'll see again at the end but it's this dinner scene between Carol and Therese and we don't hear what they're talking about the camera's kind of far away and then we see this man walking up this young man and then we follow him to the table and he basically goes to Carol and Therese and is like Therese is that you hey it's been a long time and um, pretty quickly, it's like, okay, he's kind of compromising Teresa's attention. And Carol's like, nope, it's all good. I'm going to go. Uh, it's fine. Goodbye. And um, so when Carol leaves, we've already kind of talked about this, but I want to really emphasize just the the usage of hands in this movie, because it's not just touching of shoulders. It's Carol's hands on the steering wheel. It's Carol's hands writing a check in a checkbook. It's, it's Teresa's hands writing notes down in a notebook and processing photos. There's so much focus on hands in this movie, particularly the hands of Carol and Teresa. And I think it's so, the way that they move and the way that they interact with each other and the way that they focus on each other's hands, it's so beautiful because... You know, not to be like explicit, but like for lesbian women, hands are a very sexual thing. They just are. And I think that the way that it's handled in this movie is so beautiful and romantic. And even without speaking, the hands are saying everything. And so I just love how right off the bat we have Harold, we have Carol placing her hand on Teresa's shoulder in a very like it's almost a caress, but not really. It's very gently placed there. And then she walks away. And then after that, we have this dude kind of just like pat her on the back. <laughs> and <laughs> and so the contrast of those different interactions with hands is just, I, I just think that contrast is so, so powerful. And starting the movie that way is just like, ooh, I don't really know what I'm in for, but I also feel like 
this movie's letting me know a little bit of what I'm in for. Um, but yes. So after that, we kind of go to, um, uh, a, a store which is most likely Bloomingdale's um, and Therese is uh, she's a clerk there and she is selling uh, stuff and <laughs> toys and, dolls it seems to be yeah selling dolls and other stuff underneath the nose of a manager who does not seem to like her very much uh, the manners the manager seems to be quite frustrated that uh, Therese is kind of not entirely focused all the time um, and so Therese initially sees Carol from across the room and they have this moment where it's like, Ooh, you're looking at me. I'm looking at you. We're both looking at each other. Okay. I'm being distracted by my manager. And then I look back and she's gone. So, uh, then Carol comes up and they kind of talk to each other for the first time. Carol basically is telling Therese that she's shopping for a doll for her daughter, but the doll she's looking for is appears to be out of stock and she's like do you have another doll you'd recommend and then Tress is like honestly get a train trains are cool and then carol's <laughs> like why do you like trains so basically this is how they're introduced to each other um and i think it's really sweet and beautiful um one thing you skipped on over well i was just gonna say one thing you skipped over which is it's a very small scene i not surprised that you'd skip over it, but we are introduced as uh, Therese is headed to work, we're introduced to her boyfriend, Richard. Mm-hmm. See, they drive together on his bicycle. And it's it's pretty clear that Richard is a lot more into Therese than Therese is into Richard. Yeah. She's very much paying him kind of the bare minimum amount of attention. She's like, I'm cold. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even the way she's sitting on the bike is very much so like, I'm just sitting here. Like, I don't. Ugh. <laughs> it's just a ride. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Anyway. Uh any other thoughts on kind of this this opening opening section here? Um trying to think. The employees lined up outside the door and each getting handed a Santa hat with oh. like <laughs> compliments of the management, compliments of the management. That yep. kind of made me laugh. <laughs> yep. So random. Um yeah, and we also are introduced to this idea that Carol, like, you know, because uh, the the train that she wants has to be shipped to her house, and so that's how Teresa gets her address and her number, and then Carol leaves her gloves behind, and it's like, okay, table is set. Like, let's 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 see what happens. Um, but yeah, and then I think after this, we kind of get a little bit more of a look into. Um, into Teresa's life because we have this short brief scene of her kind of sitting with Richard and their friend Danny in this like projection room and uh Teres is sitting on Richard's lap and he's very clearly trying to like make out with her and she's like excuse me I'm trying to have a conversation with Danny about projection and art <laughs> um and there's this line that Richard says where he's like, yeah, she cares more about the camera than she does about sailing around Europe with me. And, you know, he is so he just will not shut up about Europe. Although, to be fair, if I was going to go sailing off to Europe, I probably would not shut up about it either. But, um, yeah, he's he he really wants her to go to Europe. And it's very clear that she is not into that idea. Yeah, I find it to be. I don't know. I think I just. 
again on this rewatch really connected a lot more with so many things. But one of the concepts I connected with a lot more was seeing Carol and Therese both trying very hard to make something work that deep down they're like, I can't explain it, but this is not working. Like it's not, I can't, I can't give you what you want. And I want to give you what I want, what you want. I want to be that person that can be that person for you, but it's not working. And I think we see that so much with Richard and Therese here. And also with, you know, Carol and, um, crap, what's your husband's name? Uh, Harge. Harge. <laughs> yeah, with, with <laughs> Carol and Harge where, you know. The name is Harge. Uh, yeah. I, it, it, it. Apologies to all the, all the listeners that we have who are named Harge. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sure, it's a fine name. Yes. Um, I hope you're doing well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hope you're doing much better than Kyle Chandler in this movie. Yes. Um, but I feel like the movie asks this really interesting question of Richard and Harge. It, it they do seem to be pretty controlling partners, but I get the sense that they that they actually they want to be good partners. They want to be a good husband, be a good boyfriend to these women, but because something isn't working they feel like they have to try harder than they would have otherwise. And that's what pushes them to be more controlling. And so I think this movie asks this interesting question of like, are they bad men that it's like, y'all shouldn't be with these men because clearly they're too controlling or whatever. Or is it like, I actually have empathy for them because like in, of, better, in other circumstances with another partner, they actually would be a really good partner. You mean? Yeah. And it's like, they're not bad guys. They do love these women, but it's because of that love that they're becoming something that they wouldn't otherwise be because it's not working because, you know, and I love how this movie kind of, at least in my opinion, balances that of like, are they bad guys or are they good guys? And we should empathize with them. And I think it's kind of both. Um, but I don't know. I think Richard's probably more of an asshole than, than Harge is, but (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say they both have pretty asshole-ish moments. Yeah. Like there, there are several things I could think of in this movie that both of them could do better. Yeah. I'm not, I'm really not a fan of Richard, but, um, yeah, but I also, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, like you, like you say, it is the sort of thing where. They both have the personality where when the other partner is retreating, they feel like they need to go on the offensive, mm-hmm. which is not a great quality to have, especially not in this context. But it is at least a very human and understandable one of feeling like, well, if I just push a little bit harder, I can make up the gap and then everything can be fine the way it was before. You know, not real, not recognizing that it's never going to go back to what you thought it was before. Yeah, it thinking particularly about Richard and and Therese, like obviously it's not the same scenario at all. But I think about the one guy that I ever dated, and I look back on it, and I'm like, that was our, that was our fucking dynamic. It was like I don't, I'm not like, I I can see that, but that you, but I, nope. Um, but the difference is that he didn't push. He was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to break up then. <laughs> so, so, but it was just interesting. Like there were just so many things in this movie that I related to so much more this time around than the first time. Um, but 
anyway, yeah, that that scene um, in the in the projector room, I just thought was a great way to establish kind of where Teresa's is at in terms of she seems to be very confused and like figuring out who she is and what she wants. But at the same time, she just kind of seems like a yes girl. Who's and she says at one point in the movie, she's like, "I just say yes to everything, and I don't know anything." And it's that's my favorite line in the movie. That yeah. that exchange is my favorite part of the movie. I think it's so well observed mm-hmm. the way that she operates, and it's such a consistent and well observed part of her character too. That when you see her with Richard. She is like she says. She says yes to everything, but clearly her heart is not in in not in it. She does not know what she wants at all. She just she sort of vaguely understands that she doesn't want this, but she doesn't really have the the strength at this point to just stand up and say no. Mm-hmm. But with Carol, it's completely different. She's constantly she's very decisive when she's with Carol. She's not saying no right away. She doesn't really say no until the end, from what I remember. But she sees Carol and she instantly knows that's a person I want to talk to. And she makes the goes out of her way to strike up conversation with her. She goes out of her way to mail back the gloves mm-hmm. in the hopes that that will further the contact between the two of them. She clearly knows what she wants when it comes to Carol in a way she doesn't when it comes to Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that quote that you and I both just kind of were talking about I was debating between that one and then the quote that I chose for the beginning because they both are kind of two sides of the same coin because you know in this conversation that she has with Danny he's like you like certain people and you don't like other people and you can't necessarily put words to it it just is what it is and just because some people aren't attracted to other people they're still alive you know that it's it's just this is how it works. We can't explain it. It's just physics. It's just things moving around. Some things are attracted and some things aren't. And um, yeah, I just think that's a really this movie just really, I think, communicates that in a very clear way um, that's very personable and um, human. So, yeah. Um, and then after this, actually, Geneva, kind of getting back to the question you asked before, um, Maybe not actually now that I think about it, but there was this subtle moment that happened that I wrote down, which was um, between Harge and Carol, where he's kind of inviting her to that dinner party that Carol's like, I really, I don't like, I don't want to go to this thing and put on this act. Like we're splitting up. I don't want to act this out anymore. Um, But there's this very brief moment where Harge refers to um, the woman who's hosting the party. He refers to her as um, Cy Arison's wife. And Carol's like, her name's Jeanette. He's, she's not so-and-so's wife. She has a name and that's who she is. <laughs> um, I really liked that subtle hint at like women in this time period, their relationship in terms to men is very, um, I'm not going to say women are like property, but they are very much so when they're married, they are kind of attached to their husband and not really seen as individuals, um, at least as communicated in this film. Um, yeah, sorry, you looked like you were going to say something. Oh, no, just, <laughs> this is really stupid. But the other day I showed my roommate and uh, SNL sketch from a couple of years ago called What's That Name? And the whole premise of the sketch oh. is that people can't remember the names of the yep. wives and girlfriends of the people in their life. And yep. it just made me think of that. It's like, you met me yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
We've gone to 10 weddings together. We've like I'm seen each other at Christmas parties. I'm your girlfriend's best friend who you've been dating yeah. for seven years. <laughs> What's my name? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that kind of brings us into this, this party that, that Carol and Harge go to. And I really... I just really love their relationship in this movie. It feels so real to me. This this push and pull and this struggle that they have of Harge really wanting to make this work somehow. And you get the sense that Carol has tried and she's like, no, no. And um, yeah, I just think that this this party scene is just a really great way of kind of showing and not telling, I guess. Um, and it kind of starts this storyline of him constantly begging her to go to things, to try it. And she's like, I'm not going like, you know, until eventually we have this confrontation later in the movie where he's like, if you don't come, you know, or, or else. And she's like, or else what it's over. It's already over, you know? Um, and so you recognize that he very much so has like, she has the upper hand here. Which is why he goes to extreme measures in the end of this movie, which apparently happened in real life, which is horrific. Um, talk about invasion of privacy, because that was a huge concept in this movie. You know, Therese talking about like, I feel weird photographing people because it feels like an invasion of privacy. And the fact that we bring that back at the end with some guy who's a personal investigator recording people in an extremely inappropriate way through the wall like that's pretty sure that's illegal but um okay yeah like if he would even use, i don't think he could use that in court isn't that illegal maybe no, it wasn't i think they then. they specifically mention in the hearing not the hearing the like um sit down with lawyers toward the end when they're having that conversation they talk about how that stuff is not admissible in court it's just kind of leverage for the actual negotiations mm, okay gotcha yeah because Definitely can't use that. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, personal private detectives have been following men and, you know, taping or photographing them while they have affairs with um, their mistresses and men having their wives followed and taped while they have meetings with male lovers, like since the beginning of private detectives, too. You know, it's, you know, it's a longstanding and sordid Although, you know, understandable why it exists, but nevertheless sorted and creepy yeah. occupation. Yeah. Um, so after this, we get this brief scene of Carol um, calling Therese on the phone to thank her for the train set. And and then Carol's like, hey, you want to meet up for lunch so I can thank you in person for the train set? And Therese is like, Sure, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, she's so decided when she's just yeah. like, okay. She's like, absolutely, I'll see you there. What time? What place? Um, so, but I think it's so interesting because they have this meal where we get the first time we hear this line of Carol just being like, what a fascinating woman you are. Just flung out of space, which is so, the way that she delivers <laughs> that line and what it says about her character, like it, uh Ah, I love it. Um, it's so <laughs> good. getting so passionate. It's so good. I just love this character and her performance. It's so layered. And ah, it's like everything she says means more than one thing. And I, and I somehow know what all of the things are because the movie's so well written and it's so well acted. And it's so great. 
Um, but even kind of like you were saying, Geneva, even though Therese is very confidently kind of like, yes, I'll see you there. We also have this hint at she's still kind of her same old self because Carol orders something to eat. Oh, and true. Therese is like, mm-hmm. I'll have the same. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't Which, know. <laughs> Carol, like, give a minute for her to read the menu. Like, come on. <laughs> you don't need to be giving your usual order the second you sit down. But what does that communicate about Carol, though? You know, it's no, like it's true. she's mm-hmm. been here before. Like she, you know, it's almost like it almost seems like she doesn't even need to order. Like she's a regular and they know what she wants. You know, um, oh, what a strange girl you are. Flooding out of space. It's so like, what is your interpretation? of? I was that? about to ask you the exact same thing. I want to hear your love answer this first. So much. Oh, if gosh. you have any. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what I I really want to hear your interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I just I love it because again, even just the way that Carl says it, like I'm picturing it in, in my mind. She has this cigarette and she's kind of looking up in the sky thinking, you know, and she's just like, "Hmm." And the, <laughs> um <laughs> but it just it it I feel like it communicates so much in terms of it seems like it communicates experience. Like I can't even I'm trying I'm trying to put it into words. Um, Because to me, it's just you seem like this otherworldly creature, like you don't fully have two feet on the earth. There's something a little bit of the beyond about you in a way that I, I can't totally fathom. Yeah, but there's also this aspect of where did you come from? Why now? What does this mean that you're in my life right now? I don't know. There's just this this sense of it's this this sense of like I know what's going to happen here, but I also don't know what's going to happen. Like hmm. it's this sense of I feel like I know who you are, but also I have no idea who you are and I, I don't know. I, I, I literally can't put into words what I'm what it brings out in me, but I just see it as like a super layered thing that communicates so much about Carol and just kind of this inner wrestling that she has. I can't put it to words, but I think the fact that it's said twice in the movie, like in totally different contexts, the first time is like, what a strange girl you are. And then Tress goes, why? And then she's like, whoa, because you're just flung out of space. Like, Ah, but then we hear it later on. And then she's like, my angel flung out of. I don't know. It's beautiful. Okay, don't ask (laughs) me questions. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask questions. You're not prepared to answer. Well, can you remind me what is the context in which it's said the second time? Because I don't remember it being said the second time. But I. I, It's it's during their sex scene. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So the first time it's what a strange girl you are. And then Tress says, Why? And then she says, flung out of space. And the second time, it's my angel flung out of space. Okay. So it's just, I don't know. The first one is kind of like, who are you? Where is this going? Then the second one is like, you're you're still from nowhere. Like, where did you come from? But you're special. I I don't, I can't. I'm going to stop trying to explain it because (laughs) I'm an external processor. So I'm like, maybe if I keep talking, it'll make sense. But I keep talking and it's not coming out any better. So I'm just going to stop talking about it. But I love it and it's beautiful. I mean, I think it also gets at something about 
um, like she is observing something about Therese, which is Therese is very unmoored at this particular time in her life. She is kind of just sort of floating in the air and observing what is around her. She hasn't really found a way to get her her bearings and get her grounding yet. And so there's this sort of lost quality about her that is maybe attractive to Carol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes. So after this beautiful first lunch that they have that is just incredibly shot, incredibly framed, I, the lighting in that room, the way that she smokes the sick, I just, that scene is beautiful. Um, then we go to this room, the, the, the quote that I read at the beginning of this episode where, you know, she has this conversation with Danny and, you know, about art and he's like, I could introduce you to my friend at the times. And I found it very interesting that when he tries to kiss her, Therese responds, well, I guess he does kiss her and then they stop, but Therese responds, she doesn't say we shouldn't. She says you shouldn't. I was like, ooh. Ah, the subtlety of words. Like, that's so powerful. The fact that she's not like, oh, we shouldn't. It's like, you shouldn't. Because it's very clearly, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. But I, I, I'm I, just, I'm receiving the thing. And so you shouldn't do this. Because if you don't, then I won't. I don't know. Um, I think it kind of similarly communicates this lack of ownership that she has over her life when she makes decisions. It's kind of like, you got to make the decision. I'm just here for the ride either way. So it's not like we shouldn't because I can choose to not do it. It's like, you shouldn't because then I won't sort of thing. It's like, I'm not participating in this. I'm just receiving or not receiving whatever you're doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I thought was very powerful. I love writing. It's cool. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, but yeah, so then, then after this, I'm trying to remember, I'm literally going off of like my brain. So this is when, um, I don't remember how she does it. Does she call her or, but Carol ends up inviting Therese up to her house because her, she's like, oh, you should come to my house in the Mm -hmm. suburbs, get out of the city. Yeah. Well, they talk about it during their lunch. lunch. Okay. Okay. She's just like, you should come to my house. Would you like to come to my house? And Therese is like, okay. Yeah. I, you know, I need a Carol in my life. Just someone to be like, hey, we're both attracted, but you Would just, you, like- <laughs> you just tell me what to do and I'll come along. Great. I mean, even if a platonic, fabulously dressed, wealthy woman wants to be invite- to invite me to her gorgeous New yes. Jersey country estate. Yes. <laughs> Immediate. Yes. Lovely, charming <laughs> Christmas with her. Like, sure. I actually want to um, I'm going to pull up. There were some some great letterbox reviews that I saw that I want to read. Um, there was one that I saw last night that really cracked me up. That was just man if I only had the gay dar that Carol does or something. oh yeah that was one of them um oh here's one Kate Blanchett I'm free for the rest of the week if you want to chill out and maybe fall in love with me I don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh man so many of these anyway I'm not gonna go through all these right now but um anyway so yeah after Carol invites her to her home um Tress goes and visits her for the weekend and supposedly her husband is not supposed to be there. Um, so Therese shows up and it's Carol and her daughter, Rindy. 
and uh, they start doing Christmassy things because this is a Christmas movie and they're kind of decorating the tree together. And then after Rindy goes to sleep, we have we learn that Therese can um, play the piano. And so she's playing the piano, I think. Wait, am I remembering incorrectly? Yeah, no. Therese yeah. is playing the piano. Yeah. And then Carol comes over and is like, ooh, you play the piano quite well. <laughs> um, so I don't remember at what point. What are they doing when Harge comes home? Because he like sees her. Oh, no, I no. Think, he doesn't I see her at still first. At the piano. Well, yeah, he he comes in and Carol kind of goes out to talk to him. And right. then he sort of like leans over, I think, and sees Carol or Therese yeah. in the living room, something like that. Yeah, she's like going through the records and stuff. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's what happens. It's like Carol and Therese are having almost an intimate moment at this piano, and then Harge comes in, and Carol's like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening?" Um, so she goes to find him, and then they end up kind of having an argument, um, and it and Harge ends up going up to Therese, and he's like, "Excuse me, how do you know my wife? H- how do you guys know each other?" And then Teresa's is kind of like, oh, we just we we met at the we met at the store, <laughs> and he's like, oh, great. That's I think the very line he says is like, that's bold or something like that. Because Carol's like, mm-hmm. I forgot my gloves. She sent me my gloves. I invited her here to thank her. That's it. And she's not wrong, but she's also not telling the whole truth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm like she's. It's a lie of omission. She's either lying to him or she's lying to herself. <laughs> it's a lie of omission, not a lie of commission. Um, but so, yeah, it kind of ends in this this interaction where um, Harge ends up leaving and he I don't does he leave with Rindy? I don't remember. I should have taken more specific notes, but I don't think he leaves. Yes. With, no. Does he leave yes, he does, because he's not supposed to come get Rindy until I think the next day. Right. But he's right. like, we're we have to we're going someplace else for Christmas. We have to leave tonight. So I need. To, right. She needs to get all packed up and ready to go tonight. Right. And then that's when he's telling her, like, you can come with us. Like, you don't mm. you don't have to stay here. You can come with us. We can still be a family on Christmas. I want you to be with me on Christmas. This doesn't make sense. And then this is when it gets to that thing where. He's basically telling her, if you don't come with me, she's like, or what? It's over? Like, you know, and then that's when he feels really defeated and he gets in the car and drives away. Um, And then Carol goes back in and Tress is like, I should call a cab. And then Carol's like, I'll drop you off at the train. <laughs> um, So Tress gets on the train and goes home. And, oh, we have this beautiful moment when Teresa's is on the train and she starts crying after mm-hmm. what she saw. And I want to ask you, because um, I found myself thinking this while watching the movie, why do you think that Teresa is crying at that moment? What's your answer to that? I think it's the sort of, she has built up these kind of hopes that she hasn't fully acknowledged to herself about how that evening was going to go. And then it goes wrong and it goes wrong in such a spectacularly ugly and upsetting way that I think it's just a release of pent up emotion at that point. Plus, I think I think there's some shot where she's looking at a couple who's on the train and they look very happy together. And, you know, I, I think it's just all those kind of combination of factors, plus all the, the emotional roller coaster is just making her cry. 
Yeah, I I think so too. I also feel like it's this this added weight. Speaking as someone who has experienced the process of coming out as gay, whether particularly to yourself, there's this period of time where you're very excited because it's like, oh my gosh. I've discovered something about myself and oh my gosh, I can actually experience this thing and this is how it's supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. And then at some point it hits you the reality of what this means for your life, given the world that we live in. I can't even imagine in the 1950s. And so for me, I kind of see this as her wake up moment of like, oh, I had this dream of I've discovered this thing about myself. I can be this person. I can be who I am. But then all of a sudden she sees the implications of that in the real world. It shouldn't be that way, but but it is. And her seeing it in such a obvious way of like a family being broken apart and a child being involved and her seeing that while also recognizing that like, I am I playing a part in this? Like, am I a reason why this family is falling apart? Am, am I responsible for am I partially responsible for what's happening um, which I think is an ongoing theme in the movie because, you know, in that scene where she tells her, like, I just, I say yes to everything and I don't know anything. And, and then that's when Carol kind of pulls over the car and is like, I took what you gave willingly. And, um, this movie is just so good at like setting up and building up the dynamics of these characters in a way that makes the, I guess the follow throughs on them later in the film really satisfying, um, and complete. So, yeah, I just, I, I found myself watching the movie and I was like, why is she crying right now? And I, I really thought about that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so Carol basically calls her very shortly after she gets home and it's like, hey, I'm thinking of going away for a while. Can I pick you up tomorrow? <laughs> and Tress is like, yep. So, <laughs> um, so the next morning, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna. This is not a knock against the movie in any way. I just had to rant. Carol, if you're in the middle of a custody battle in which a major factor is cheating on your husband with other women, it is not a very smart idea to go on an extended two week road trip with your new, like, girlfriend to be. Like, just, just wait a few months till the custody settled. Like, come on, please. <laughs> Isn't that relatable though? I feel like so many people. Mm-hmm. When they're in their darkest, most difficult, depressing moments, they turn to the drug of love and infatuation Mm -hmm. to help them escape from the reality of their lives. And is it the smartest decision? No. Do I totally understand it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like like I said, it's not a mark against the movie, but I was kind of screaming at the character a little bit. Like, (laughs) this is not going to end well. What are you doing? I would have done the same thing because I love road trips and... I've had many moments in my life where I'm like, this is really hard. I'm just going to get in the car and drive and forget about everything. And if I had a potential loved one I could bring in the car with me, be like, hell yeah, I'm inviting you to come on this road trip. <laughs> um, but yes, so the next morning we see this confrontation between Therese and Richard. And he's basically like, you have a crush on this one. Oh, wait. There we, I skipped. There was a conversation earlier between Therese and Richard, and she was basically asking him, like, do you think that boys can yeah, be in love with boys? I don't remember exactly when that happens, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. She's like, do you think boys can can like boys? Do you think girls can like girls? And he's like, why are you asking me these things? And then she's like, have you ever liked a boy? And he's like, no, I'm not one of those people. I'm not like those people. What are you talking about? Um, And so there's very clearly this established dynamic of he is not uh, supportive of this, uh, which is not surprising. Um, So anyway, this next morning when Therese is getting ready, she's packing her stuff. She's going to go meet Carol and they're going to drive. Richard kind of confronts her and is like, who is this woman? You met her at a department store, what, three days ago? You're using your Europe money for this? What about Europe? What about Europe? (laughs) Um, I'll go to Europe with you, Jake Lacey. (laughs) Just kidding. Not as Richard, though. He's an asshole. Right. And and I think he basically, I think he tells her here, he's like, but I love you. Mm -hmm. What more do you want from me? This works. Like, Why? Um, and then she basically all but breaks up with him. She's like, you know what? I don't want this, which is the first time she's ever kind of explicitly stated what mm-hmm. she wants or doesn't want. Yeah. I mean, I think she, f- she fully breaks up with him at this point, right? Am I wrong thinking that? I, I think she fully breaks up with him as much as you can without saying it's over. Like she doesn't explicitly say like, it's over. Cause he's We're like, I, at some point he's like, well, is it over? And she's kind of, she's a little bit evasive, but yeah, it's it's right. it's pretty clear that mm-hmm. it's over now and because she does because she wants it to be over, which is good for you. Take ownership of your life. Um so she goes down and gets in Carol's car and uh Richard kind of looks at them a little bit and Carol gives him this beautiful smile and is like, Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um He's like, Take care of her, make sure that nothing happens to her or something like that. Yeah, and she's like, oh, you don't weird. even know. Um, so this leads to probably my favorite. I have to think about it more. But I think my favorite moment in the whole movie, which is Therese getting in the car, them starting on this road trip, and having all of these beautiful shots of Therese just kind of taking in the beauty of this woman that's sitting next to her in the car. We have these shots of her lips while she's smiling, her eyes while she's looking out the window, her hands while she's touching the steering wheel, her hands as they open up the cigarette. Like it is such a beautiful way of expressing the early stages of loving someone. And the first time you really go on like, this is a real, real date and not just like, a, are we dating? But like, a, this is a real, real date. And um, you also get this sense that she's never felt this way about somebody before because just the way that the way that it's shot, I feel like is so beautiful. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Do do you know the sequence that I'm talking about? Did it strike Mm -hmm. you at all visually? I just think it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was thinking as you were describing it, I was thinking about that scene from Fleabag season two, when they're walking down the street together and she keeps her inner monologue, she keeps going, his arms, his neck, his jaw. (laughs) Like she just keeps like picking out little like physical features of him. Like, you know, it's that sort of stage of infatuation where you just keep focusing on little parts of their, their body or their movement or the, you know, something about them that you just keep yeah fixating on. Yeah, I I literally wrote down all of the different things. I wrote down um, her hands, her coat, her lips, her smile, her face, her taste in music, 
the way she drives. Like there's just so many different things and the camera really takes its time. It's not like a, here's a quick, it's like these shots are so meaningful and the way it flows and is edited. It just, the fact, and the fact that it's shot on film, just at, it's, it's just so visually breathtaking. It really is. Um, so yeah. Um, also my next note in my, uh, my next bullet point in my notes is Teresa's wardrobe. Every single outfit she wears in this movie. I'm like, if I was in the 1950s and I couldn't wear (laughs) pants, that is what I would wear. It is very cute. I love it. I actually was um, the scene toward the end where she's painting her apartment and she's in the jeans that are rolled up and the flannel mm-hmm. shirt that's tied and everything. I thought, that's kind of a Tatum outfit, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I love all of her outfits in this movie. They're super cute um, and also very flattering for her. There's no way you just bought those from a store. Those were fitted for you, right? Like, what? It's crazy. I mean, it's the 50s. Everything is custom fitted for everyone. True. Um. Okay. Yeah. So basically, they embark on a road trip, and there's Christmas music as they start this road trip because this is a Christmas movie. Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> this <laughs> I think Christmas is next week by the time this comes out. So Merry Christmas. Um. <laughs> but um. <clears throat> so yeah, they 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 embark on this road trip, and we kind of establish that they you know their road trip. Their sleeping arrangements, their sleeping arrangements change every night. Initially, they're in separate rooms. Then they're in the same room but separate beds. Then, Which, notably, um, Therese is the one who's like, maybe we should try the presidential suite. Which I think is the first one that has the the two beds in the same room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I just like that kind of natural progression of just them being like, okay, we're we're feeling it out, but also we don't know how quickly we want to jump in, but clearly we want to jump in, but what does this represent to the world? And da, da, da. Well, there's this really long, like it takes a really long time for them to actually be upfront about the fact that they are want to be physical with each other where it Aside almost is like a shoulders <laughs> where it's almost like a, like a girl's trip sleepover kind Mm. of vibe you know it's just two women hanging out they're not at this point doing anything that's other than platonic and just kind of you know they're swapping makeup they're kind of goofing around they're um just being very free in a way that they're they're not shown being back in the city yeah i don't know if i'd call it platonic but um (laughs) i think i mean it's not like that's it platonic could be in terms platonic. of what they're yeah in yeah. terms of if you are look a bystander looking at them that's all that you would see that's not in terms mm-hmm. of their intentions toward each other right yeah because we have this moment where carol's trying to take off her coat and you know teresa is reaching over to grab the steering wheel and it's like kiss already <laughs> um so yeah eventually they make it to this one place where uh they i think this is the presidential suite night or, or one of them i don't know But they wake up the next morning and Therese is sitting at a table. She's drinking some coffee and some dude comes over and it's like, who we think is, you know, a typical man who's like, I'm going to hit on a lady. And the lady's just kind of like, 
well, you're, I know you're not going to leave if I try and say something. So I guess I'll just sit here and let you be your man person and try and sell me things, I guess. And so eventually Carol comes and joins them. And Carol, I, this is just, this is a look that I have seen so many times in spaces with lesbians where men come over and everyone's just like, just just no (laughs) it's just so funny this look that she gives him of like I could care less that you are sitting here can you please just go away I I'm not gonna give you what you want I don't want to waste time pretending like just leave um but then they kind of have this shared smirk between the two of them of like haha this dude yeah no And then, yeah, so that scene is over. And then pretty quickly after that, we have this this nighttime scene. We learned that it's New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve. And they both kind of talk about how they've spent New Year's in the past. Um, I should have written down the specific quote. I don't remember what the quotes are, but they kind of talk about, you know, in previous New Year's, they've been alone or they haven't had anybody. And then uh, Teresa is like sitting in this on this like little bench thing in front of a mirror and Carol comes over and again puts her hand on her shoulder. (laughs) Um, and kind of like you were saying, you know, the first time that maybe not the first time, but Tress literally takes her hand and basically Mm -hmm. tells her, but I'm not alone this year. And that's the official. Okay. So we're, we're a thing now, basically we're not, all, like all the cards are out on the table. We're, we're being open about what this is and what we want and how we feel about each other. And so, yeah, that, that basically leads to them having an incredibly, in my opinion, beautifully shot sex scene that is, it's not about, sometimes I watch movies and it's like, this sex scene is because you want to make the audience aroused, which I'm like, cool okay not really here for that this is something where I'm like this is not trying to make the audience aroused this is specifically trying to communicate these are two women that are having this intimate moment with each other right now that they don't know when this will be able to happen again they recognize how much of a like privilege this is for this to be happening right now with each other in this place it feels very very special like like this is this could be the first and the last time sort of thing and just the way the way that it shot the camera and and the score and I I love it so um yeah I just like said a lot of things about lots of things do you have any thoughts on any of those scenes or sequences or anything trying to think if there's any thoughts that I have from those moments I don't know we since we've kind of jumped around a little bit I mean we're mostly going in chronological order but I feel like there's some maybe some things that I had previously wanted to say but have already said Mm. from the yeah yeah. so yeah no nothing else to add (laughs) okay no thoughts on like visually how any of this looks well I mean like I said the whole movie is gorgeous um yeah yeah okay oh I totally forgot to mention that mm-hmm. earlier in the movie, it's it's the it's like the first morning after they're on the road trip, Therese goes over to Carol's room and Carol's in the shower and Carol asks Therese to grab her like blue oh, yes. sweater. Mm-hmm. 
and Tress goes into her luggage to grab the blue sweater and she finds that there is um, a small a small gun in Carol's bag. Mm. And she kind of looks at it for a while because clearly, you know, Tress saw the state that Carol was in the night before when she had that argument with her husband. And so basically that comes back around to this point in the movie. Oh, sorry. Actually, I did think of one thing before we start to get into kind of leading toward the end of the movie. One thing that we haven't talked a whole lot about, we've kind of briefly mentioned, but is that... um, Therese is a photographer. She's an amateur photographer, but Carol has been encouraging her to be more um, intentional about her work because Therese is kind of like, well, maybe, you know, I'd like to put together a portfolio and get my pictures and, um, you know, get a job at a magazine or a newspaper or something like that. So um, throughout this whole trip, Therese has been taking a lot of photographs of lots of things, but specifically of Carol because Danny had encouraged her to photograph people more. Yes, Great mention. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Yes. Um, Which I think is really interesting because, again, we have this commentary in the beginning where Tress has this point of view and this perspective of taking pictures of people is like an invasion of privacy. And so the fact that now the main subject of her photos is Carol has this sense of there isn't an intimacy here that... Carol is allowing her into her world and so Tress doesn't feel uncomfortable about capturing it because this is like a special relationship where it's not eavesdropping it's you know it's like an intimate uh relationship so yeah um also, ugh, 50s cameras just look so cool <laughs> like I just I want one could you I should handle get one could I use it do would I know how to use it no <laughs> you could learn it's not difficult yeah maybe I will yeah um, would I be able to find the film and develop the, the photos without bankrupting myself? Probably not. You could find the film. And uh, yeah, sorry, we don't need to go into this. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so the next morning, Therese and Carol are kind of packing up their car, getting ready to go to the next destination. And I'm trying to remember specifically how... The uh, Carol gets a telegram from Abby. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um. So Carol gets a telegram from Abby that basically is. What wh- What does the telegram specifically say? Doesn't it say that he's filing? I a- don't think we ever. We never see it specifically, but it's enough for her to realize that there's a private detective on their tail who's been recording them. Okay. So yeah. So Carol basically grabs her gun goes to this other room to confront this person who is the same man who was the one who came up and pretended to be flirting with them and selling them things at their previous um, hotel overnight stay. And um, turns out he is a private investigator who was hired by Harge and he has an audio recording of their entire previous night together and essentially Harge is going to use that to blackmail Carol and use it as leverage to get her to stay with him in their marriage and really try to be committed to the marriage as a wife and as a mother. And if she doesn't, then he will take Rindy away from her. So Carol tries to shoot the recording device, but... Because she basically asks him, she's like, how do I know that you already sent the tape and that you don't? And he's like, you don't. 
Um, so she turns the gun to shoot the recorder, but we learn that Teresse took the bullets out of the gun. So nothing happens. Oh, that I didn't even catch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, cause Teresse was like concerned that, you know, cause of her mental state that she was going to hurt herself. Um, so then as they walk out the door, of course, the PI says, it's not personal. It's just business, which he's not wrong, but he's also not right either. Um, <laughs> so Carol and Teresse, they spend one final night together. Uh, they are initially sleeping in separate beds and Carol tells Teresse, she's like, you don't have to sleep over there. So Teresse joins her in the bed. They have sex one more time. And the next morning, Teresse wakes up and finds that Carol is gone and Abby is there. So Carol took, I think, a flight back to New York, back to LaGuardia. And Abby came there to drive Teresse all the way back to New York. There is a conversation between Abby and Teresse, kind of like we mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, where Abby kind of talks to her a little bit about what their relationship was like in the past. Um, Abby and Carol grew up together and uh, they had a relationship, I think it was like three years ago or something like that. A little more, I think it was like, she says like five or six years Five or six years? Yeah. So they had a relationship and then Abby seems a little bit, still a little bit hurt by the fact that their relationship ended, um, but also still accepting of it. And... Trust has this one line where where they're eating breakfast and she's like why do you hate me so much and Abby's like do you really think I'd fly all the way here and drive you back to New York City because I hate you <laughs> um <laughs> and so now we're back in New York and I think we this is this part this was hard for me but we we have these moments where we see that Carol has really tried to go back to the family and be who Harge wants her to be. She has tried to fit back into this mold of being the wife and the mother. And she's apparently seeing a psychotherapist who is going to cure her of her proclivities and uh, her behavior, I guess. And this is where we officially find out that Harge is basically holding over her head that if she does not return to the family, he will take sole custody of Rindy without allowing visits for Carol to see her. So yeah, we have this scene where Carol's sitting with, it looks like her in-laws and they're having this kind of a recurring thing throughout the film that Carol's in-laws hate her and she hates them. Yeah. And they're having like a super boring ass conversation. um, And they try talking to her about her psychotherapy and it just, is not going well. You can tell that she does not want to be there. But speaking of, you know, Kate Blanchett's performance, you also have this sense of like, she doesn't want to be there, but she also wants to want to be there for the sake of her child. Um, and she's fighting really hard to make it work. One thing, I don't know exactly where this comes in, but um, when Therese is back home, like Carol had told her, we not to contact her Mm -hmm. but Therese does try to call her at one point and they just kind of are on the phone with each other for a few minutes and then Carol kind of hangs up yes and Therese learns that information because Abby gives her a letter that Carol wrote Um, and you can tell that when Therese kind of reads that letter and then calls Carol and doesn't you know they don't talk and Carol hangs up the phone you really get a sense that 
Therese feels betrayed and almost angry by the way that Carol has kind of just tossed her to the side. And obviously, like, she understands Carol's situation, but that doesn't change the fact that she's hurt. And she seems kind of, like, genuinely angry about it. Yeah. Well, this, I think we've... Because I think we skipped over the conversation that we were talking about before. I mean, we we did talk about it before, but after kind of everything that's happened, Therese really blames herself for putting Carol in this really difficult position. And um, one thing that I think is really intriguing when she's talking about how, like we said before, I I don't know what I want. I always say yes to everything. She says she calls herself really selfish, which I thought was a really interesting um, and true framing of it. Like there is a selfishness to refusing to make up your mind and just going along with whatever is happening because it's not, you know, it's putting this extra burden on the people in your life in a certain way. Yeah. I, I actually pulled up that, that quote. Um, so she says, so Carol asks her, this is when they're in the car after they find out about the um, the, the recording. So Carol asks her, what are you thinking? Do you know how many times a day I ask you that? And then Therese says, sorry, what am I thinking? I'm thinking that I'm utterly selfish. And then Carol says, don't do this. You had no idea. How could you have known? And then Therese says, and I should have said no. And I should have said no to you, but I never say no. And it's selfish because... I just take everything and I don't know anything and I don't know what I want. How could I when all I ever do is say yes to everything? And then that's when Carol responds and says, I took what you gave willingly. It's not your fault. So, yeah. Oh, I should have looked up. So here's also the quote from from New Year's. (laughs) Carol says, Happy New Year. Therese says, Happy New Year. And then Carol says, Harge and I never spend New Year's Eve together. Always a business function. Always clients to entertain. Then Therese says, I always spend New Year's alone in crowds. And then Therese says, I'm not alone this year. Man, now I'm just, these are just all the quotes. This movie has so (laughs) many good quotes. Okay, anyway. Um, Oh, man, such a great quote. Man, ah, ah. I just want to read all of them. (laughs) Well, we could do, you know, we could, at the very end, you could just kind of go through all the the best quotes that we skipped. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, that's a good idea. Um. Yes, 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 yes. But thank you for thank you for bringing that mm-hmm. up. Yeah, sorry, I'm like all over the place. Thank you for helping me. My brain is not functioning fully. Yeah, no worries. Um, we find out when they're back in New York, when Carol is having that kind of dinner with her or lunch with her in-laws and everything. We find out that this is months later. So Carol has a moment with Abby and um, Abby ends up telling her that she has a new job at the New York Times. She's apparently killing it at the New York Times, which like good for Therese's, you. Yeah, Therese has a new job, yeah. which by the way, again, this is not a knock on the movie. It's just something that <laughs> the trope of someone at the beginning of the movie has just a little hobby and then they're somehow able to parlay it into a career over the course of like two months. Just I'm like, oh, man. I mean, if you know if people, only. it's possible. All you got to do is know somebody and she knows somebody and she's talented. So the fact of the matter is just not enough of us know the right people to do what we want to do. Yeah, I guess I, that's a good point. Yeah. So we end up seeing um, Therese at the New York Times. She seems to be doing very well. Um, and while she's... Th- her her style has changed a bit too. She's, she's, she's curling her hair more. She's dressing a little bit more sophisticated. Clearly spending time with Carol has rubbed off on her a little bit in, in her personal style. 
Yes. Also, I don't, sorry, I jumped over something before I get to this next mm-hmm. part. So, um, after the, the lunch with the in-laws, this is when we have that kind of confrontation scene with the lawyers in the room, oh. which I think mm-hmm. is so powerful. Um, kind of this, this back and forth between Harge's lawyers and then Carol's lawyers and them kind of just bargaining over, okay, so what are we doing here? And Harge's lawyers kind of communicate that this is this is an all or nothing situation and we will use the evidence that we have to fight for what we want, which is Carol does not have access to Rindy at all and that's it. And then Carol's lawyer retorts by saying, well, we can say that you know, the neglect of her husband because of his work and his travels led her to a state where she started doing these things and therefore it's his fault and da 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 And this is when Carol kind of stands up and asks for a ceasefire. She's like, let me speak. I need to speak for myself. And I should have fucking written down this quote because it's so good. I'm going to try and paraphrase it and maybe I can find it um, later towards the end of the episode. But she essentially goes into this whole thing where she's like, I'm going to speak for myself and what I want. You can have full custody of Rindy. That's probably what's best for her, given the society and what we live in. But I demand to have visits at least three times a week. And that is my final offer. And this is what I want to do. And because we are a family and we love each other. And yeah, she's like, this is making us ugly and we're not ugly people. Yeah, we're not ugly people. And this is what I want to do. But if you don't take this offer, this will go to court and it will get ugly, which so well written, so well acted. It's it's just it's it's so good. And you kind of see the human in hard cheer of kind of this melting of his anger and recognizing like you're right. Like this shouldn't be about you and me. This should be about Rindy. And I think he also this is me reading into it, but my assumption is that at this point he does recognize like how much he's hurting her by doing this because I do think he genuinely loves her and I feel like he was like maybe if I do this thing she will finally comply with what I'm asking her to do but this is him finally letting her go because she is choosing herself she is choosing I I tried I tried to see this psychotherapist I tried to fake it with your family I've been doing that for months now I can't do it this is not who I am and I need to be me. And um, it's painful for her, for her, but it's 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 very brave of her to recognize, like, I, I can't do this. Like, I have to be myself. And so after she kind of makes, makes that declaration where we know now that, like, okay, she is basically going to be, uh, she's going to live as a lesbian. Like, this is her, this is what she's going to live like. This is when Therese then receives a letter from her while she's at work, a letter from Carol basically asking her like, hey, would you be willing to meet me at this time at this place? And Therese crumples up the letter and throws it on the ground because she's angry because <laughs> um, seemingly it's been no, not seemingly it, it was explicitly stated by Abby. It's been months since they've spoken. They haven't spoken since Therese called her on the phone and they didn't talk to each other. So basically that happens and I think Carol says in the letter that she did actually end up getting a job at like a furniture store or something and that's like 
you know. I think, yeah, I think she says that when they meet, actually. She's like, can you imagine me working? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, I, I can't imagine you working. <laughs> yes, I can. Um, so eventually, Therese does actually, oh, no. So Therese goes to this party um, instead of going to, wait, no, I'm well, trying. No, Hold she, on. she wait, goes to I'm meet her. I'm remembering now. Yeah. Yes. She goes so, to meet her at the appointed time. Yes. So Therese does go to meet her at, I think it's the Ritz, and they have this lunch where Carol was basically putting all of her cards on the table. And in the letter, at the end of the letter, she says, like, I understand if you don't want to meet. You know, she keeps giving her an out. She's like, I want to see you, but it's okay. You don't have to come. And so when they have this lunch, Carol is basically like, hey, I got an apartment. I'm living alone in this part of the city. I have a job. This is the life that I'm trying to live. She's kind of like basically, you know, putting her best cards on the table, being like, hey, this is who I am now. And um, then she invites Therese into that life and is like, hey, you know, would you consider coming to live with me? Like you could you could do that if you wanted. And I love this flip you know, in the beginning of the movie, we see Carol as this super confident one. And Therese is the one who's like, uh, I don't know, like, maybe, sure, I guess. And then this is something where Carol is kind of like, I don't know, like, please, I, but this would be cool. And then Therese is like, no. Um, and she gives this firm answer of this is not, this is not what I want. Um, we're not going to do this. And so... So this conversation that they're having where Carol kind of invites her to to move in with her and Therese says no, this is that same dinner that we saw at the beginning of the movie. So we kind of know that that's how this conversation is going to end. But before that happens, we hear Carol tell Therese that she loves her. She says, I love you, which is the first time that's been said in the movie, or at least from one of them to the other. And after she says that, Therese is kind of sitting there in silence and then this guy shows up and now we have the whole context for what he's interrupting (laughs) just like in brief encounter Mm -hmm. and um it's tragic (laughs) it's a tragic ending to this story where they have so much yeah well this is me not realizing that there's going to be something else after the the parting scene being like Mm -hmm. wait why did she say no i'm a little confused about what's Mm. going on Mm -hmm. and then kind of when i realized where it was going it made more sense Oh, I find that interesting that you would have been confused if she said no and that was that. Oh, well, I was just like, what's what's the, the obstacle here? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, the fact that she's grown. Yeah. She's grown. I think, she's too, like... I had not fully realized that it had been months that had passed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been months. It's like this idea of I'm establishing a new job. I feel I have more of a grasp on what I want, who I am, where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And you're from my past and I want to move forward. Yeah. And, you know, which I think we see. So Carol tells her, she's like, hey, I'm meeting up with these people later. They'd love to meet you. You can come by if you want. But if you don't, that's okay. So we kind of see this moment of... um Tress ends up joining this guy who came over and said, hey, she she hitches a ride with him to go to this party. And we see this possibility of this life that she could have without Carol. She goes to this party. She's this young, independent woman in a room full of other young, maybe possibly independent people. She sees Richard being a jerk with some other lady <laughs> across the room. He's not being a jerk to her, but he gives her not a nice look. 
Um, but whatever. It's kind of like closure for her. Like I've moved past you. I don't really care. Um, and we get this idea that there's another woman there that she could potentially have a connection uh, with. Carrie Brownstein, I think from Portlandia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this could be her life. This could be her future. And so again, this is really seeing Therese has come into her own. She can make her own decisions now because she has this future in front of her of, I could choose this or I could take this offer from Carol and go be with her knowing what my other option was. And so the way that this scene is shot, you know, that, that shot with the two windows mm. on the side of the building and yeah, she's really over here. Framed, yeah. Ugh, and then it, it just, it's so, it's so beautiful. Um, the, the lighting too, in, in this mm-hmm. apartment that they're in, it's so green and Brown, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it really conveys that like, Dang, d- dingy bohemian kind of student lifestyle that's very different from the very you know clear crisp rarefied air that carol moves in mm-hmm. yeah like this room just feels like it's full of like cigarette smoke mm-hmm. and you know like <laughs> yeah this is where the young cool kids hang out yeah um <laughs> and trust is like but i'm not a reading young their cool jack kid. kerouac and yeah just like I'm not a young cool kid. I'm a I'm an old sophisticated, not old, but old. Soul. I'm an older sophisticated lady. Space. Yeah, flung out of space, and I want to go be with my lover, lady, who's probably twenty years older than me. Um, well, actually, I did kind of have this thought toward the end, is because again, you know, me not realize knowing where this movie is going to end. When she walks into that restaurant where Carol is, my first thought was she's going to realize that she feels really out of place here and she's going to leave. And Mm. so it does leave for me that lingering question of is this this right for her? Is this really what she wants? Is this really who she is? I mean, it it ends on a very ambiguous don't. We don't really know. There is a potential for a future between the two of them, but we don't know exactly what that looks like. But I do feel like she is this character who's kind of poised between these two worlds and is is trying to figure out which way she wants to go. And these are the types of love stories that Tatum likes because there isn't there isn't a very clear like, oh, if I'm with this person, I'm complete and we live happily ever after. It's like, no, love is scary and it's complicated and it involves leaving things behind. Yes. You're choosing something over something else. Mm. And in choosing one thing, you're sacrificing another and you're having to adjust and build your life, you know, like, so is it worth it? And, um, so yeah, so, so Therese leaves this party and, uh, she does go to meet Carol and, um, it's this very long scene of Therese entering this restaurant, but she kind of she kind of like forces her way in because they're like, she I'm does, sorry, yeah. do you have a reservation? She's like, excuse me, I'm looking for somebody. <laughs> um, so she kind of pushes past the the concierge or whoever it is at the front. And she walks in and she's looking. She's trying to find her. And then as a, you know, she appears behind the body of someone who's walking by. And there's Carol, perfectly lit, sitting at a table surrounded by other people. And, um, you know... Tress just kind of stands there for a moment, just looking at her. 
And then she slowly starts to move forward. And we have these two shots. One is of Carol as we move closer. And the other one is looking at Therese from the front as she's walking. And it's kind of this editing back and forth. Um, And then finally, after what feels like forever, Carol kind of sees her standing there. And then Therese stops. And they have this really long exchange between the two of them where they're just looking at each other communicating wordlessly and both both of their performances here from the two of them is just out of this world just these like I said in the beginning these little minute changes in their eyes and their eyebrows and their mouths like it's just or the little tilt of the head or whatever it is it's just there's so much being communicated in these final seconds of the movie um and it is an ambiguous ending. We don't know where this is going. But I have a sense that even though we don't know where it's going, it is right for them to be together right now in this moment. And right now, that's the only thing that matters, um, which I think is beautiful. So, yeah, the end, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it's mean, like a classic, you know. The end title card, but with a question mark. The end? Uh, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you have any closing closing thoughts or anything, I guess, on just like the movie overall or anything specifically in this in this final section? I mean, I do keep ask, asking myself, like, I wonder what Rindy's story is going to be when she grows mm-hmm. up and, you know, Carol is doing what she feels like she can't do anything other than do. But I wonder what Rindy's take on it will be as an adult. Like, will she appreciate and understand the choice that her mother made? Will it be hurtful to her and that her father made? I mean, her father is very much a participant in the the way that this went down. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very curious about it because there is this sort of... um, selfishness to the way that carol acts but it is a very human selfishness you know and and understandable so yeah i don't know yeah i mean i i struggle with the word selfishness in terms of how it's used because i think selfishness a lot of times is used in a negative connotation um Mm. i don't think that carol is is doing anything that is negative Um, I think that it's, it's, it's the world that is creating the problem, not Carol that is creating the problem. And I think at the end of the day, like, I don't know, I think there it's two sides of the same coin. Like either way the the child is going to have to, all of us have to deal with issues of our parents as we grow up. That's just part of having parents, Mm. which is part (laughs) of being a human being. But it's like Mm. either way you know, growing up in a home with a mother who's a zombie and seeing a psychotherapist and incredibly depressed and upset because... Yeah, very uh, Betty Draper kind of Yeah, like that's probably arguably more harmful than when you do see your mother having her be happy and whole. And I think the issue is with society and also with the father who could allow her more visitation time like he could do shared custody he like there's other things That's he could true. do but he's the one who's like mm-hmm. keeping her at an arm's distance and not allowing her to be as involved as she wants to be and so divorce is messy no matter what um and i would not blame not that i'm saying you're placing blame but 
I don't think that. Yeah. I don't think that the decisions that Carol is making to care for herself, given the fact that society does not accept who she is as a person, which is stupid and terrible. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't think she's being selfish in any sort of negative way. I think the circumstances are so not in her favor that if she's doing anything at all to care for herself, it's going to be harmful because she's not allowed to live her life. Yeah. I don't know. And, but I think we see that struggle within Carol, which is again, like why I love her character and Kate Blanchett's performance, because we see in these moments she has with Rindy as a mother, like she's a fantastic mom and she doesn't want it to be this way. She, she doesn't want to be separated from her child. She's not the one choosing this. It's everyone else that's choosing it. And she's like, okay, if this is, if this is what I have to do, you know, it's not even her choice, actually, in my opinion, it's being forced upon her because we see her try. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is why I'd like to see the movie again with a fuller understanding of kind of the time frame that's going on and of who Carol is, because I think that would help me to connect a little bit more to the choices that Carol makes throughout the film. Which, which choices in particular? Uh, well, like I mentioned before, the choice to go on the road trip <laughs> to race, which I'm like, girl, like, I know you want to just, you could wait. <laughs> you don't have to do this now. This is not going to go well for you. But hmm. yeah, but it's like, it's in, like you say, it's a human decision based on like, I'm in a mo- a time of extreme stress and frustration and I just need something that will make me feel good so in that sense I think it's selfish but it's selfish in a very understandable way if that makes sense Mm -hmm. you know like it's selfish in a way that is very yeah very human I don't know I feel like I mean if we're going to use the word selfishness I feel like I think it's also worth looking at you know Harge's selfishness as well like, oh, I mean, he's a very selfish character. Yeah, no question. There. It doesn't have to be this thing of either he takes Rindy for Christmas or Carol's left alone and miserable and goes on. A, like, it's it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that way. He doesn't have to force his hand in this sort of way to for Carol to be pushed to these extremes, you know, like mm-hmm. not that not that. Carol can't take ownership for for the decisions that she's made, but a lot of this is her just reacting to other situations that have been other decisions that have been made for her. And she's like, well, <laughs> okay, like, how can I respond to this in a way that makes me not miserable and terrible and like unable to get out of bed and all of these things like I can't just keep complying and complying and rolling over and rolling over and rolling over and being who you want and doing what you want like she's taking ownership of her life which I think is the beautiful you know like journey and pairing Mm. of Therese and Carol because Carol is actively making decisions that she has to make and wants to make according to what's going on like she has no choice but to be decisive because she has to be but then Therese is kind of just like, oh, I guess I'll go on, like, I guess I'll go on this road trip. I guess I'll do this thing. I guess I'll do that. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's just, a, it's a really interesting pairing how Carol feels like she has to be in control and has to be responding. But then when she's with Therese, it's like, I can just 
be me and not have to deal with any of this garbage. And, um, and Therese is kind of the opposite. It's like when she's in her regular life, it's like, okay, I, 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 not the opposite, but I, I, I don't know. I think that there's just this beautiful balance in how the two of them find each other, how they play off of each other, how they help each other grow, but also recognizing that like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't think that Carol is being selfish. I think she's taking care of herself when other situations are being forced upon her against her will. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. You have to care for yourself, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I think this just, she's goes not, back she's to not my... joining Richard in Europe. She's not like, I'm going to Europe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's like, I just need a few days to drive. Like, can I just have a few days? Yeah, yeah. I just think this goes back to, and again, like, this is not an issue with the movie. This is my my personal, like, on this viewing, in which hopefully on subsequent viewings I will have less of an issue with, is just, to me, Kate Blanchett never reads as out of control or unable to make decisions or have some measure of, yeah, control over the, the things that are going on in her life. And but the character of Carol is, and so that sort of dissonance, I think I struggled with at certain points. Which again, I'm not blaming on the movie, just blaming on myself. Yeah, that's super interesting. Hmm. Yeah, but I'm I'm sure I'll see this movie again at some point. So it'll be interesting to see whether my readings and you know experience of of the the story changes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, anything else that you want to talk about? I feel like we barely talked about Abby, but mm. I do like her character a lot. She's an interesting addition. Yeah, the sort of like role that she plays on the margins of Carol's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have a sense that there's there's so much history there, you know, mm. and we're just getting like a little a little glimpse into everything that's gone on between them yeah. and all of that and the way Harge like hates her because he sort of blames her for you know at least in part for the issues in his marriage but also also has to recognize in a certain way that she's always going to be a part of carol's life mm-hmm. yeah and there is a weird not weird but i do feel like there is a sense of harge is he 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 has been accepting up to the extent that he can because we get the feeling that like he's known about this for a long time Mm -hmm. and he's kind of been like okay we're gonna try and make this work and carol's probably been that way too of like let's try and make this work um so it doesn't seem like something where you know he immediately found out that his wife was you know romantically involved with women and was immediately like well get out you know like it seems like there is a sense of empathy coming from him and a sense of genuine love that he has he's just been pushed to this limit where he just he can't he can't take it anymore and also probably the fact that he has a job where he's never home is not helpful either Mm -hmm. um but yeah I hope he takes care of Rindy geez I hope he doesn't leave her home with a nanny all day (laughs) I mean no this is the 50s but yeah. He's just like traveling all the time and Rindy's at home. 
people like oh no ah yeah i mean he seems good with her in the the small glimpses that we see but we don't see them together very often yeah i mean he can be good with her when he's there but if he's gone 85 percent of the time like doesn't really matter (laughs) exactly um yeah i just find grandparents yeah yeah hmm I just find him to be so complex. All the characters in this movie, except yeah, for he's another one that I'd honor rewatch because I, coming away from the film, I feel, felt a lot less sympathetic toward him than you seem to. So I'd like to kind of watch it again with that eye. Yeah, I don't know. I just like I keep using the word complex because I can't think of a different word. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just yeah, <laughs> like layered. It's just none of the people in this movie are black and white. They're they're mm. they're gray. They're two colors at once. And uh, depending on what day or what time or, or how they're feeling at that moment, they engage with each other in different ways. And yeah. um, that's life. Question, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, question, actually, speaking of the, the men in the movie, what are your thoughts on Danny? I liked him as a character. I mean, he, he tries he kisses Therese when I mean, he, I don't know if he you know, that wasn't a great decision in the moment, but he does stop when it's clear that she's not into him. And in their scene toward the end of the movie when she's painting the apartment, it kind of seems like he's aware. Oh, he's an ally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the sense that I was getting, but I was wondering if you agree. That was my sense for sure. Yeah. That he knew that she was into women and, and did not care. Yeah. I think he was like, well, you just went on a road trip with this lady for <laughs> for a few days. And also you and uh, Richard broke up and <laughs> you see, you know, yeah, I think he... I don't know if they had like an explicit conversation about it, but it seems like he at least, you know, inferred and um, seems cool with it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So with all of that being said, um, I think we're going to go ahead and close out. So like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, um, this movie is very well received by critics. So this movie has a 94 on Metacritic and a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's appalling. It should not be a 94%. <laughs> Who said they didn't like this movie? What's wrong with you? Um, and yeah, this movie is also listed by the British Film Institute as the best LGBT film of all time. And it was named one of the greatest films of the 21st century by the BBC. Um, I just pulled one review because this was the one that I saw that I really felt like um, just represented this film well. So this is written by David Calhoun from Time Out. And he says, Gestures, looks, and touches carry enormous weight. And Blanchette and Mara, both excellent, invite microscopic readings of their every glance and movement. Much of the film is a loaded dance of desire so that when it finally comes, a kiss has rarely been so well earned. This is a subtle, exquisitely designed drama that's calibrated like an expensive watch. It's moving parts working in quiet, unshowy harmony. I love that review so much. Mm. Um, So, yeah. What about this movie has stuck with me or will stick with me? I mean, everything about it. Uh, it's like see the previous two hours yeah, of conversation all of the things the performances the way it looks the 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 layers of the characters the the way they all interact with each other um 
the beauty of their love story, I mean, the chemistry between Carol and Therese and, you know, Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett is absolutely palpable. Um, the pacing of this movie, how it slowly builds and then, you know, it's just the story is so great. It's not just a romance because there's so many other things going on, which is what makes the romance so great because it's not existing in a bubble. It's existing in a fully defined world. Um, it, I, This movie is perfect. Uh, I love it. And that is what I will say. What about you, Geneva? <laughs> I think the my immediate takeaway is just going to be the scene we talked about in the car where Therese mm. says that, that whole thing about, I don't know anything. How can I? Because I say yes to everything. That whole exchange I just really liked and related to part of parts of it, if I'm being honest. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely going to see this movie again at some point interested to see how my experience changes once I kind of understand more about where the story is going and can hopefully pick up on on more and more layers within those performances like you're talking about I do think it's a really well-written movie and I mean like we've talked about it's just so so gorgeous to look like to look at it just it made me physically mad watching it really the quality of cinematography <laughs> that we get on 99 percent of movies coming out of netflix nowadays i'm like this is possible guys pick up your game so um also <laughs> i apologize for this this is very stupid but I kept uh, a few years ago, I think right after Ammonite came out, SNL did a skit called Lesbian Period Drama, mm. which I just kept thinking about at certain points during the movie because there are certain um, tropes that it picks up on and makes fun of. And I will send it to you. It's just it's very funny. I've already I seen a it. whole new appreciation for that skit after watching Carol. So Geneva's takeaway from this movie is an SNL sketch. It's great. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's my takeaway for most of life. So. <laughs> <laughs> most experiences <laughs> so, oh this reminds me of an F- SNL sketch <laughs> uh, you've met that's two SNL sketches you've mentioned in this episode yes, <laughs> um, uh, sorry my roommate and I went down in a little bit of an SNL rabbit hole the other day so it's just kind of forefront in my mind I love it um all right what are we talking about next week Yes, next week we are talking about a little indie movie that um, my mom introduced me to and has just kind of stuck with me over the years. And I am so curious to hear what you think of it because I kind of feel like you're going to hate it. But if you do, that's okay. It's it's a very strange movie, but I really love it. But anyway, this movie is called Metropolitan it's by the great filmmaker Whit Stillman. And it's very much a weird in between flung out of time and space, you know, numinous period in between Christmas and New Year's type movie. So, yeah, Metropolitan is what we're talking about next week from 1990. All right. Looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, come back. Come back, everybody. Come back next week, everybody, to hear about (laughs) us, to hear us talk about Metropolitan. My brain is dead. Okay. Oh my goodness. Bye. <laughs> you just see the neurons draining out of Tina's oh, eyes. <laughs> bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. 
We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Thank you.